Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, um, it is our joy to come and worship you together this morning. Father, we just thank you for being present with us during this time, um, for honoring what your word says, for being faithful to your word when you say that where two or more are gathered, you are there. And Father, we um, we know that to be true. We feel that to be true. And God, we just ask that um, as we uh, lift our prayer requests up this morning, that you would receive them, um, that you do that thing that by some mystery we don't fully understand where you can minister to, you can, you can be to whatever we need you to be. Um, and, and at the same time you're ministering to us, you're ministering to so many others, God, and um, by your Holy Spirit, uh, you, you, you heal uh, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. God, when I look at the prayer request list this morning, uh, I see all of those uh, just in our church body. And I know that if that's happening in our church body, that the greater Evansville community um, has even bigger needs. And so, God, I just pray that um, that you would uh, you, you would touch those in our congregation that need healing this morning, that need physical healing, um, that need to feel loved, that need to know that they are loved by a power greater than they could ever imagine. Um, for those who are struggling with depression and anxiety this morning, God, that you would that you would help them to know that there that there is a better way, that there is hope. Um, and Father, um, we just pray for the peace of our body that is traveling through the mountains. And um, God, we just pray for their physical safety. But God, I just pray that you would encounter them in your creation, and that. Um, especially for the youth on the trip, that they might come to understand you in a new way. That, there's, that there would be some experience on this trip where the light bulb came on. And um, we all know what that feels like, God. And those are the moments that form the foundation of our faith. Those are the moments that, that we remember forever. And I just pray for those experiences uh, on this trip. Um, and God, we just pray that you would bring them back to us safely and also that you would be with um, our pastor and, and Karen as they travel on to visit some friends in the Pacific Northwest. Oh God, we just thank you so much this morning for your word. Um, we, we just thank you that every time that we go back to it, every time that we turn to it, uh, even this morning when we turn to a familiar story, God, that you bring out new um, life. That, that it is truly a living word that as we go back to it and go back to it and go back to it, we glean more and more and more and more. The Father, it, it is your word. You speak to our hearts through it. Father, we just ask that you speak to our hearts this morning. Um, be present with us as we open it together. Be present with us as we, as we ponder it and then as we go from here to um, a time where, where we can discuss it deeper. We love you, God. We thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, if you would. We will start in verse 25 and read... The verses that we started with last week, 
and then we will move on to our passage for this week. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. And don't think of like an, a, an attorney. This would have been a religious lawyer, a religious figure, um, similar to a, a priest, but someone who was, um, their, their focus was to know the law, the Jewish law. So that gives you an idea of what angle this question is coming from. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now to pause here, that would have been For Jews at the time, they would have summarized the whole Old Testament in those two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. They boiled everything down to those two things. So the lawyer, who's responsible for knowing the law, gives a very correct answer. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? See, the first question he asked, Jesus didn't fall into the trap. He didn't tread on the law. He didn't trip up like like they wanted him to. And so now he goes further, presses further. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer answered, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. So to catch us up from last week, if you were here or if you forgot, which is often the case, a lot happens in a week, we started a new series about loving and serving our neighbors, our neighborhood. And so Dave talked about identifying your neighborhood. Where has God placed you? Maybe it's your actual physical neighborhood where you live. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's a a recreational group you're involved in. Um, Maybe it's a place where you volunteer. Maybe it's your home. There's lots of options. But Dave talked about 
identifying that neighborhood. Where has God placed you? Where has God uniquely called you? And then at the end of the sermon, Dave challenged us to identify five people in that neighborhood that you need to get to know more, that you need to talk to, etc. Um, maybe you're feeling a special pull toward these people and, and you know you just need to say something, but you haven't. And Dave asked us this past week to, to pray about that and maybe take a step into that, a step of faith into that. So then in this week's passage we step into a pretty familiar story. Kind of one of those flannel graph stories, those of you that are old enough to remember flannel graphs. uh, I think I was on the tail end of the flannel graph era, but, you know, the Sunday school teacher would have the little figures on the flannel board and move them around. And, you know, that's kind of what I think about when I think of the Good Samaritan. And the danger of familiar stories is that we go, oh, yeah, we know that and our ears shut off and our minds shut off and we start to think about other things because we've heard this before we're familiar with it we know it so i think the question this morning is what is it really that jesus is saying this lawyer asks him a very pointed question two really what must i do to inherit eternal life and jesus answers him with a question what does the law say? And then he asks a second pointed question. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus kind of goes off into a story, which is, if you're thinking about communication, I have to believe this lawyer is going, what, what is he doing? Where's this, where's this going? Have you ever, have you ever asked somebody a question and then they go off into like recounting something and you're like, what's going, where are we headed? Um, so I have to believe that the lawyer was, was really listening because he was trying to figure out what is it that I asked this question. I know the answer is going to be in here somewhere. And then Jesus gets to the end of the story and he asks another question. Which one of these do you think was the man's neighbor? So in our story, We have a man, it would have been a Jewish man based on the context of the story, who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. That's about 18 to 20 miles-ish. So the man's walking along, he's beaten by robbers, he's stripped of everything he has, and then he's left for dead. So... Three men pass by. And based on the audience that Jesus is speaking to, these three men are really important. A priest passes by, a Jewish priest. A Levite, a type of priest that did chores in the temple, passes by. And then a Samaritan who doesn't pass by. Do you remember on Sesame Street, the little game they used to play called One of These Things is Not Like the Others? That's sort of, I think, what Jesus is doing here. The, the fact that one of these was a Samaritan juxtaposed to the other two is a pretty glaring thing. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. 
But thinking back to last week and talking about neighborhoods, what neighborhood is the Samaritan in? He's, he's traveling. He's traveling from one place to another. He's not in any neighborhood that he's probably familiar with. He's simply traveling. We drove to Florida a few weeks ago, and it was 13 hours or, you know, 37 hours with three children um, <laughs> of not being in your neighborhood and wandering into gas stations that are for sure not your neighborhood. Um, but, and incidentally, if you ever stop by Bucky's, just just be careful. Your whole wallet empties. It's amazing. Oh, it's like redneck heaven. Um, so the, the Samaritan, just like the man who's, who's beaten, finds himself between two places. He finds himself in this in-between where he's not really in any neighborhood that he would have expected to be in. And, and what I hear from Jesus there is, let God determine your neighborhood. You may think that you know your neighborhood is X. But ask yourself this morning, is my neighborhood that because it makes me the most comfortable? Is my neighborhood that because so-and-so is in that neighborhood and they're my best friend in the world? Is my neighborhood that because my family is there? Are there things about that neighborhood that are more attractive because they're more comfortable and so that's where you gravitate toward versus letting God determine your neighborhood? And know that you're not alone in that. In this story, the man who was beaten and the Samaritan could not have been more different. They could not have been more far apart. And the fact that the Samaritan man is the one who helped when these Jewish priests passed by would have been so against the grain for the people hearing this story. It would have been so culturally shocking and even off-putting for Jesus' audience. Furthermore, we'll come back to this as well, but the two denarii, the two silver coins, I think as the NIV puts it, that the Samaritan gives the innkeeper was about two months' worth of stay at the inn. So based on this story, we have to ask ourselves, just as the lawyer was asking for different reasons, who is my neighbor? And obviously on the surface that question has a very obvious answer. But I think it's a lot deeper question. And I think it, we are shown that it's a much deeper question by where Jesus goes with that question. Jesus could have just answered that question in a trite short, concise way. Instead, he takes this lawyer on a journey through this story and takes us as well. I think by the end of our time today, we can answer this question. But I think it's dovetailed with what does it mean to love our neighbor? Obviously, loving your neighbor takes different forms. You can serve them, you can listen to them, you know, speak to them, give them advice. Sometimes it's sharing the gospel, sometimes it's just 
giving a helpful tip. Sometimes it's just giving compassion. Sometimes loving your neighbor involves forgiving them. I'm sure I'm treading on people's feet this morning, but I, I, know, I know what it is to have a neighbor that you don't get along with, and uh, it's sometimes challenging. You go outside to mow the grass, but, you know, so-and-so is mowing his grass, and so I'm going to stay inside and wait until so-and-so is done mowing his grass, then I go out and mow mine, just to find that one more time he's come in my yard and mowed my grass, and anyway. You know, I have a friend um, that talked about this years ago, and he had a neighbor who, um, the offense was much more uh, intense than something so trivial as, as grass mowing. Um, and I won't go into the details, but um, he said, you know, every day I would, I would look, I would see her house and I would just think terrible things. And um, he said, uh, one day I noticed that her, her grass was getting really high. And it hadn't been touched in, in weeks. And I thought, why didn't she mow her grass? And he said, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought, well, I, you know, I could go over there and mow it. But he wasn't going to do that. And he said, you know, I thought I'd forgiven this, this woman for, for what had happened. But I wouldn't mow her grass. And he said, I was going to call somebody and have them mow it. Or maybe ask one of my friends or my grandson if they would go mow it. And he said, but I knew that that wasn't the right thing to do. And he said, so one day I walked my mower down there and I mowed her grass. And he said, I realized something. If you won't mow their grass, have you really forgiven them? And it's an interesting question. I ask myself this all the time after that story when I'm having issues with people. I think, will I mow their grass? It's an interesting question to ask, but, it, but it's true. If I won't serve my neighbor, whomever my neighbor is, if I won't serve them, am I really in right relationship with them? If I won't talk to them? If I won't even take the time for a conversation, am I really loving my neighbor? Am I really serving my neighbor? And that's hard for me. That, that, that's hard for me. Um, in Matthew 22, which is a different account of part of this story, the word says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They heard Jesus had had silenced one group of high priests, so they gathered together to see maybe what they could do. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I like Matthew's telling of it for a different reason, because Jesus is saying on these two commandments depend everything. And I said earlier, they would have... They would have Boiled the whole Old Testament down to these two things. That's true. But what Jesus is saying here is everything depends on these two things. Love God 
and love your neighbor. When I went to Purdue, I had a, a pastor there um, at the church I went to on campus. There were a, a few different teaching pastors. One of them was getting ready to retire, Roger. And often, you know, I was a freshman in college. Roger would speak way over my head, and I would get lost in it and sometimes bored. Um, but there was one sermon that has stuck with me my whole life, and he said, the Christian life is a two-step dance. Love God and love neighbor. Love God and love neighbor. And that has really stuck with me, that it really is just that simple. And I know that simple is an oversimplification, not to be redundant, but, but, it, but it, is, it is just that simple. Love God and love your neighbor. But it goes against our very nature to put someone else in front of ourselves. But Jesus is asking us to put God in front of ourselves and everybody else. When you come in tenth and that other person gets silver, you're supposed to be just as happy for them as you would have been for yourself if you came in second or first even. And Jesus says that everything depends on this. I think to really get to the crux of this, we have to understand that we are all made in the image of God. In Genesis 1.26, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. A little before that, it says that, God said, let us make man in our own image. Human beings uniquely are created out of the relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We were created from a relationship. We are created for relationships. So it's almost like God set it up from the beginning for us to love him and love our neighbor. We are created in the image of God, which tells us who we are tells us who we belong to, but also gives us the capacity to relate to our Heavenly Father. God created us for these two things from the beginning. Every single person you meet is an image bearer of God. No one is exempt. This means we are all equal. All of us. Being made in the image of God is the basis of our human dignity. It's the basis of our value. It's the basis of our worth. And no matter how much someone attacks you or seeks to diminish you or diminish your value, they can't ever change the fact that you were created uniquely in the image of God. And so seeing others through the eyes of Jesus, seeing others as being made in God's image changes everything. If you can bring yourself to do that, even for five minutes, you see people much differently than you did before. If we are all made in God's image, how can we judge one another? How can we attack one another? How can we be hateful to one another? Because doesn't God want us and call us to love that which he has created? Hmm. But just as we are all equal in being image bearers, we are all equal in our depravity, in our fallenness, in our sin. 
There is no one in this room and no one on this earth that doesn't need love. There's no one on this earth that doesn't need the gospel, that doesn't need a savior. I believe it's essential to understand that fact in order to understand what it means to love your neighbor. In our passage this morning, the Samaritan didn't see the man as anything but someone who needed help. The same is asked of us. The Samaritan just helped using the resources he had, the resources he'd been given. He utilized those resources to help someone who was in need. It sounds so simple when you say it that way, but it gets so complicated, doesn't it? I think we have to seek to understand everyone is fighting a battle that we usually know nothing about. Miranda talked earlier about how we're all climbing our own mountains. And I think if if we went around the room, we won't. But if we went around the room and asked each of you what battle you're fighting, we would all have different answers. Oh, some of them might be similar, but we would all have different answers. Sometimes we're fighting battles that the people closest to us in the world don't know about. And so if we know that about one another, that should form and change the way that we treat those around us. We are all equal in that we are in need. We are all equal in that we're broken. So we have to seek to understand those the needs of those around us and then ask God how we can meet those needs using the resources he's given us. We're all equal in that we come from different places. So seek to understand the background of those you come in contact with. Seek to understand where they come from and then ask God how you can form a relationship with someone who comes from a completely different place than you. And as I said, we are all equal in our sin. So seek to understand your own brokenness. And then ask God how you can minister out of that to those who are also broken. See people for who they are, not who you wish they would be. So who is your neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Every single person that is made in the image of God is our neighbor. So how are we going to serve them? How are we going to accomplish that which God has called us to do? Because that's a big group of people, right? We've just said our neighbor is everybody. How are we going to do this? I think we have to take it one step further. Something we discussed in my small group last week is who, who is it that you wish wasn't your neighbor Because I guarantee you, when this lawyer heard about this Samaritan guy, he winced. He went, think about that. Think about how the Jews felt about the Samaritans. What would you do if someone you can't stand served you in your hour of need? And that's a real question that I had to ask myself this week. Would I accept their help? Or would I turn them away out of pride? 
Would I let it? Would I let it make me see them differently? Would their help to me make make me see them differently? If so, why would why does it require? Why do I require someone to serve me to see them differently? Would you serve someone you can't stand in their hour of need? We have these ugly sides to us, don't we? That we just we don't come out and talk about them like at parties and stuff, but they are there. They're there. We don't like to think about it, but they are there, and we have to call it out. We have to identify it, and we have to own it, and then go to God and say, what do I do with this? J. Vernon McGee, who, if you know me well, you know I love J. Vernon McGee. He said, if you knew the condition of my heart and you knew the thoughts that I have on a daily basis, you wouldn't even be here listening to me. He said, but before you get up and leave the sanctuary, understand that if I knew the condition of your hearts, And the thoughts in your mind, I wouldn't be wasting my time anyway. (laughs) But it's true. If we knew, if if everyone knew us as intimately as God does, we as human beings just aren't equipped to deal with that. But we know, we know our own brokenness. And we therefore know how broken others are. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus calls us to serve those that think differently than we do, that look differently than we do, that worship differently than we do. He calls us to serve people who are just like us, sure, who are in our own neighborhoods, absolutely. But he calls us to people that are nothing like us. And so what is Jesus' real message here? I think, boiled down, it's to love perfectly. He tells us to love God and love our neighbor and then gives us this word picture, this example of how to love our neighbor in a gospel way. When we tithe, we give back to God a portion of what's already his, right? For years, I was so immature in how I looked at tithing. And I was like, well, you know, I've earned this money, and I and me and I and me and I and me. I see heads nodding. I see those hands. Um, But when we tithe, we give back to God a portion of what he's already given us. It already belongs to him. So we just give back a portion of that. When the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is showing us that by loving God and loving our neighbor, we are giving back a portion of the love that God has already given us. It's not ours to hold on to. It's ours to share. It's ours to distribute. It's ours to steward. When you steward finances, you're meant to grow them. We're meant to steward the gospel. We're meant to steward God's love. And real love starts when you are stunned into silence by the realization that Jesus Christ has paid your debt. Jesus in this story is showing us what love from a sinner saved by grace really looks like. None of us are incapable of doing what the Samaritan did in this story. The lawyer that asked Jesus the question at the beginning of the passage is looking for Jesus to give him a nice formula for how to inherit eternal life. A nice workspace, just do this and do that and do this. And Jesus instead gives us 
an example of the type of love God demands. Because in the parable that Jesus tells, not only does the Samaritan take the man to an inn to recover, sorry, not only does he bandage the man's wounds, he takes them to an inn to recover. In the parable that Jesus tells, not only does he take him to the inn to recover, but he also pays for the man to stay there for two months. And in Jesus' story, not only does he pay for two months' stay, he also says, whatever else it takes to get him well, do that. And on my way back through, I'll cover that tab. In the parable that Jesus tells, not only does the Samaritan do all of this, he does it for a sworn enemy. In John 8, the Jewish leaders don't know how to deal with Jesus. They're in an argument with Jesus and they say, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? That's how they felt about Samaritans. It was an insult. The Samaritan did all of this for somebody that couldn't possibly be further away from him. And I have to ask myself then, Do I love others like that? Not very often, if I'm being honest with you. I would definitely love to stand up here and say, yes, I do. But you guys know that's a lie. None of us are capable of this kind of love without the gospel. None of us are capable of this kind of love without Jesus. And anybody can love people who are right next to them who are just like them, and when it doesn't cost much, and when it's safe. But what God has given us is a love that goes far beyond all that, and far beyond boundaries. And so that's the type of love that God asks for in return. Because God loved us first. We love God because He first loved us even though he knew about all those nasty parts of us that we just talked about a couple minutes ago. Unless we are crushed by the weight of the love God demands, we will never be humble enough to receive the love that God gives. And so Dave gave us a challenge at the end of last week. So the challenge this week is serve someone you don't know. Or serve someone you don't like, if you want to, if you want to go for extra credit. <laughs> that credit's not good for anything, but but it will help you. Look for opportunities; they exist every single day, and have the courage to seize one. How many times have we thought, "Oh, I should have said something. Oh, I should have done something. Why didn't I stop and do that?" Don't let those opportunities go by. Grab a hold of at least one of them this week. We live in an isolated culture where we don't trust one another. Our our smartphone culture has us isolated behind these little silos. And this doesn't work in that culture. Take one opportunity this week, regardless of whether the person trusts you or not, whether it looks awkward or weird. And stand against the culture and serve someone you don't know, someone you don't like maybe. And then come back next week and tell somebody what happened. 
Not guess what I did. Wow, you never believe what God did this week. You know that thing we talked about last week? I tried that. Let me tell you about it. I look forward to hearing next week what God has done. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I thank you for the love that you have shown. Father, you didn't have to make a way back to right relationship, but you did. You didn't have to pay our debt. You weren't bound by anything to pay our debt, but you did. You made a way where there was no way. There was no way we ever could have been good enough. There's nothing we ever could have done to earn our way back into relationship with you. But you made a way, God. You made a way. And for that, we are eternally grateful. God, we are so grateful for your word this morning, for the examples given to us in it of, of what to do and of what not to do, and sometimes of people who are just like us, who are trying to do the right thing, but they just can't get out of their own way. Father, I just thank you that everything we read, we can identify with. That you don't leave us on our own to figure it out. We love you, God. Thank you for being present with us this morning. Continue to be present with us as we continue in worship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.